Hey, Dreamers. I can't believe it. We are so close to Dreamers Podcast existing for three whole years. To celebrate this amazing accomplishment, I have decided to put together a live event here just outside of Philadelphia, May 20th. DreamCon will be an all-day event where you can meet past guests, network with other Dreamers, and play minute-to-minute games to raise money for charity, and of course, so much more. Tickets are on sale now at superjoepardo.com slash dreamcon. I can't wait to see you all there. Hey, Dreamers. My guest today is making his dreams come true by... Uh, making games, loving games, and loving the games that he makes. Uh, Dreamers, I'd like to welcome to the show Michael Mindis. Hey, glad to be on. Yeah, glad Thanks, to Joe. glad to have you. Um, yeah, coming live from Las Vegas, uh, which is not where you're from, I assume, right? That is correct. I'm from Utah, here at a trade show, but yeah, it's some extra time. Thought we'd, we'd uh, talk about stuff. Stuff is is good, yes. Uh, so, like, we we love talking about business on this show, and uh, it's especially when it's uh, creative business and doing things um, that are different. And not every day I get to interview uh, somebody who who uh, has their own board game company. Is that how you would define it? Yeah, as long as when you say it, people hear board game and then i when i say that they think uh like games you make on the phone and i say no board game physical in real life and then they say oh like risk or monopoly i say well not exactly more like games for the the mega gamer nerds the most popular (laughs) games that come out of the the niche that i operate in are games like settlers of Catan. Ticket to Ride, Pandemic, those are some of the the biggest sellers um, that have jumped over to at least the the lower sales end of mass market. Yeah, I mean those are the ones that some like people would would probably have heard of, right? Like if they haven't heard of board games, and if they're asking you, uh, is a board game something I play on my phone? Uh, then, then that, those would probably be the closest things they may have heard of one time. Ever. Yeah, you know, it's it's a common misconception because there's so many games on the phone. They just figure, oh, you must have meant I I must have heard wrong. You know, it's it's re- it's a reasonable mistake to make, I think. Well, you, you know what? Actually, the, so the other day, somebody, uh, one of my friends, because all my friends are really big uh, board game geeks, and and well, I am not. I am a business geek, and and I love talking business. Um, uh, I somebody had shared something that was like a board. Um, it was like a digital, like almost like an iPad, but it's meant to be to like play board games on. Have you have you seen this? Um, no, I can't say that I. No, huh. what you're talking about at the moment. I, yeah, I, w- I wish I, I should – had I done any research, I would have had the name of the of the product. But, um, but yeah, I think it was like a Kickstarter or something um, where they're trying to, like, make it so that you could play different board games utilizing, like, a giant screen instead of, like, the actual board that would come with the game. Oh, right. I am uh, – I'm familiar with some software platforms that would be able to do that. It's just you would need a bigger screen. That's all that would require, but yeah. 
Right, right, right. Um, so, so Michael, why don't you get rolling with giving some background about yourself? Background about how early should I go? <laughs> well, um, how far? How far back I, can you recall? I'll, I'll I'll make the way back machine go relatively quick and and into more details we get closer to today. Okay. So, I was born in 1981. And by the time I was seven, I was playing every game that I could. Um, so this was 1988. Um, my, well, my family wasn't on the front end of getting things like uh, Ataris or Nintendos. We did have that. So I was playing those. I played chess with my dad a lot. Um, starting in first grade, I was on the chess team at my school uh and it happened to be that the coach there was like one of the best chess teachers in the country um i stayed playing chess all the way through high school uh in 1993 when i was in junior high school a a, uh, very popular game today for the mega nerds among us called magic the gathering came out Uh, that was the first game to really capture my attention in a major way after chess did. Yeah, I played things like Risk and and Monopoly, and they were all enjoyable, but, whoa, Magic, that was that was awesome. And um, in about the year 2000 or so, shortly after I graduated from high school, I discovered some quality Euro games that... Uh, Designed in Germany, things like Settlers of Catan, uh, games like Carcassonne and Puerto Rico when they came out. Um, and I really, really enjoyed these type of games because it, was, it brought me back to it brought me back to my days of chess where and, and magic, um, where it was about the decisions I was making versus the decisions other players were making and how that turned out better for me or worse for me in any given game that we played. And the problem with chess is that while two people may know the game and can play with each other, it's almost guaranteed that they are not going to be at the same level and one person is always going to crush the other. Uh, These new games that I discovered had their own systems that you had to learn. It was new to everybody, and that wasn't the case anymore. So I liked that about it. Um, Let's see. I was in college studying philosophy and economics. I graduated in 2005. Uh, When I spent, when I was 18 and 19, so this is before I graduated, uh, I spent two years not going to college um, although my parents were supporting me and uh, just playing games instead. Video games, MMORPGs, Ultima Online, EverQuest, Diablo 2, these sorts of things, Civilization. Um, I got married in 2003. We were going to have a child, started working as a financial advisor, and uh in 2009 i started making board games in 
think 2011. Is that right? It was very early Kickstarter. We kickstarted our uh, first game that went on there, Eminent Domain, raised $48,000 when that was the highest funding board game of the time and stayed there for something like 18 months. Um, and have just continued along. People, uh, enough people like what we do and let me keep doing it. So I'm going to keep doing it until they say otherwise. Oh, that that is that is awesome. By the way, I mean it takes me back playing uh Dun- you know, uh Diablo two and, and EverQuest. You know, I actually um didn't eat lunch for like two weeks so I could save up the money to uh to to buy EverQuest, because uh, I was in middle school at the time. When it oh, okay. just com- it had just come out. And uh it was such a like I never really got into Ultima Online, so for me, like EverQuest was like the thing that ended up sucking up a lot of hours of my yeah my middle school in, years. If you were in middle school when EverQuest came out, you'd have been like nine or something when Ultima Online came out. Yeah, yeah. So when I was yeah at that point, um, it, I I think the the problem was I was I was a little too young to to convince my dad to like let me play an MMO online and pay a monthly subscription fee for me. Sure. Yeah, no, that's reasonable. Um, is uh, it on your dad, I mean, <laughs> on, on your, no, it's reasonable on your dad's side, not yeah. on your side. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we were An playing like Duke yeah. Nukem and and Doom and Quake and, sure. and Unreal yeah. and all those. Like, I was big into that too. But uh, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, a um, interesting side fact on all these uh, MMOs was that my favorite thing to do, and then was always set up a store and and. Uh, sell stuff to people so <laughs> just goes to show yeah yeah the entrepreneurial spirit even uh in in the mmo world um, yeah even digital practice helps when you get to the real world i guess it, it does you know one of the things i attribute um i mean there's many many factors but one of the things i attribute my uh sense of like deeper learning and deeper wanting un, you know deeper understanding of things is uh sim city and SimCity 2000 and SimCity 3000. Oh yes, yeah. No, SimCity is one one of my favorites. Trying to get my my uh, nine year old son into playing games that are more like that. Just recently got Civ Six, and he is loving that. Tell you what. Oh, awesome! Yeah, I, I never. I only played like Civ One, and I think Civ Two. Um, once past that, I, I lost interest cause I was more interested in, in like, uh, you know, first person shooters at that point, but sure. But sure. yeah. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, uh, that's well, uh, when it comes to, to board games though, um, what intrigues mm-hmm. you the most about putting one together? Um, that is an interesting question. What like intrigues from design, me most? Uh, concepts. Like, what really draws you into an idea of, like, I'm, like, what keeps you motivated to be like, I'm going to do a new game? Uh, so, one thing that's important to note is that I don't design games. We license other people's designs. And so, what I, what gets me excited about that whole process is when we find a game design and it doesn't have to have any artwork that is higher than usable, right? So it doesn't look pretty, but the game design just, it's just right. It's elegant because essentially a game design is a 
artificial system built by somebody with artificial rules, and then you are competing with other people inside of that system to do the best. And so at my level of experience, given that I've actively been playing all the games that I can and thinking about games for three decades, uh, I feel that it is relatively rare that I find a, a, a game that I say, wow, this is really, this is really, really good. Um, it's not so rare that we can't publish games, but it is rare enough that it's, we look at a lot before we find the things that we want to make. That's what intrigues me the most. Mm. Okay, so let's let's walk into um, how you got the business started. Like, what were some of the first steps you took when you made the decision that you were going to start? Pub- Did you start with publishing other games first, or yes, absolutely. You- oh, okay. So what happened was I was working as a financial advisor, and which is great, and I was making more money than. Uh, is reasonable to be had by someone who was 24 at the time. Uh, and I come home and talk to my wife, and every once in a while there's a bad day, and I say, oh, yeah, it's great, doing good, I like it, but I really would like to be making games. And eventually she said, okay, well then we're going to be together for the rest of our lives, and after that, after we die, so I don't want to hear this all that time. So how about you? you figure something out and do it? And once that happened, I said, okay, I'll figure it out. So what I did was I thought about everything that I know about a game and what it would take to go from nothing to delivering that game to the end customer, the gamer. Every single piece in between, the whole thing. How to make it, sell it, get it into people's hands, ship it across the world, all of that. I mapped out everything that I could think of. Then I started calling people and asking about each of those steps. Well, what do you do here? How does this work? Uh, I mean, there there's some some uh, plastics manufacturers in Tucson that I called and wasted a bunch of time uh, for asking them dumb questions about ingest, injection molding. Right, and then I never did any business with them. I feel a little bit bad about that, but it was helpful. I needed to know all those things. That's how I got started. Once I had enough of the map, I started to do, and just you know went out there and did things. Um, when it came to getting games, I was fortunate enough. One, of my uh, best friend is a is my best friend. I consider to be one of the best game develop board game developers on the planet. Um, and at the time, he was still very good, not as good as he is now, but uh, he had a game that he designed and developed and another game that he helped another guy on that he was having trouble placing with other publishers. And I said, well, how about I publish them? And that was uh, those couple of things. That's where we started. Just kept learning and moving forward after that. So when it comes to... Um the the actual oh well actually going back you said that you know feeling uh feeling bad about those people from the inje- injection molding i mean can't you send any business their way at this point no i make all my stuff in china where i get the best quality oh uh, okay okay i would i would i would get lower quality shorter uh longer turnaround time at higher prices 
Really? And were these guys in America? Yeah. Oh, yeah. because they can they couldn't make it as fast. Well, I don't know about the the turnaround time for sure, but everything else is true. The like the precision is very high because a lot of these guys are making um, like medical instruments that are injection molded plastic, right? So the precision is really high, but I can't pay fifteen dollars for a highly precise injection molded piece of plastic. Right, because nobody's going to die over you know the the plastic that's that's used to make uh, board games, right? Like it just doesn't work. That, yeah, you know nobody's life's depending on it. Um, Correct, and I'm not paying for someone's life to depend on it oh yeah definitely and they're not paying for it either and they should as they shouldn't right i mean some of these board games i i know can get quite expensive in a hurry uh you know 50 60 70 dollars 80 dollars 100 dollars yep. sky's the limit um so it's yeah so and and that's with not using like you know uh, medical grade uh, plastic injections and stuff like that sure so um so so how did your family take it when you were like, I mean, obviously your wife was on, you know, uh, first made on board, but, uh, how did the rest of your family take this idea that you, of you like, st- uh, you know, putting your flag in the ground saying, we're going to start, um, publishing board games. Um, they, they, they took it just fine. Um, you know, just a friendly reminder, make sure you can, uh, provide for your family. That's all. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, do they did they understand what you were trying to do? Yeah, I I didn't quit being a financial advisor. I mean, I, I was doing this in addition to uh, for five years before really moving into just being a board game publisher. Oh, okay, okay. All right, yeah, I wasn't sure how how long that transition took. So thank you uh, for for clearing that one up. Um, what's been the biggest roadblock that you've hit over the, the, well, it's been what, uh, seven, six years. It's been, uh, I don't know, eight full years, something like that. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. 9, 10, 11, 12, no, 9, 10, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, eight full years. This will be the ninth. Wow. Uh, Biggest roadblock? I I don't know. I can't remember. Seems like we've gotten through all of them. So more like a speed bump. <laughs> <laughs> we 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 needed to have customers who would buy our games. We needed to be able to make games. We needed to improve the quality. We needed to find more customers. We needed money for this game. Uh, hiring people to help me run the business, so it's not just a, a job where I do everything. Um, I mean, those are all significant things. Just sort of do them as they come up. I wouldn't point to any particular one as particularly daunting as I look in the rearview mirror. Every one of them as they came up was like, oh, how do we do this? Think about it. Try. um, React to how the trying worked out. Right. Well, it's the, you know, the, the process of going of, of problem solving, right? Like I always say, as entrepreneurs, we're professional problem solvers. Uh, even as business owners, we're professional problem solvers. Because if we're not, we're probably just sitting there crying about how things are tough. And it's so hard to do this 
one thing and you know to me it's like well then you probably didn't sit down and think about it enough you know yeah or you didn't get the right people in the room to help you think about it uh and enough so so yeah, yeah so i think that's 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 great that you've uh scaled all of those speed those speed bumps <laughs> along the thus, way thus far <laughs> yeah thus far um so so obviously gaming has been a very big part of your life it's it's been a it's been a very big part of my life as well. Um, but what was your childhood dream growing up? I wanted well, well, once I realized I wasn't going to be a professional soccer player, I mean, I think I realized that before I got into high school, but when I couldn't even make the JV team as a freshman, it was pretty obvious that wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to make games. And at the time, I was like, oh, I want to be a, I want to make games as in go and work at a video game company. And I look up, look it up. I'm 14 at the time or 15. Oh, you need a college degree. Oh, well, I'm a little ways off from that. I get closer to graduating from high school. You need a college degree and five years experience. Oh, well, that's still far away. So it just became clear that that was an ever increasingly uh, difficult um you know, minimum requirement to be considered. And so I just started making games and doing it myself, but not on the computer because I don't know how to do that. I don't have the skills for that. No, I, I think that it's, I think it's interesting um, that your, your dream prior to that was wanting to play a game as, as a professional player. No, 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 not play a game, make games. No, no, no. To be a soccer player. Oh, sure. Sure. Yes. Yes. You know, it's just it, yeah. that's uh, I guess the competitive nature. Would you would you consider yourself pretty competitive? Um, yes and no. I always want to do the best that I can. If that's better than others, I'm okay with that. If it's not, I'm okay with that as well. That's uh, that's fair. I think uh, I think it's, it's important to recognize what our strengths and weaknesses are. Right when we're when we're doing that, if we get too far down on you know, oh, well, I'm not as good as blah, 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 um, then it, it, sometimes it takes us too far down the rabbit hole to, like, accomplish what we're really supposed to be accomplishing. Right, or even not supposed to be accomplishing. I mean, uh, TMG is a successful board game publisher. We, we've we sold all, over 400,000 games over the life of the company and brought enough money, we employ people, uh, life is good. But I could say, well, we're not these guys and we're not these guys who are doing much better than us and you know i could just live a a life of woe and misery as i continue to not be in number one yeah yeah definitely um so i you know i gotta ask though because games are such a big part of your your life and your world Mm -hmm. um do you have any other hobbies no i mean i had other hobbies that were particular games that i enjoyed that required a lot of time and uh when i decided to start publishing games i said well there's there's some things that i just if i'm going to do this and succeed at this i can't do all these things that i want to do anymore so i had to choose which of those had to go um working my day job was not going because i had to provide for my family being there for my family was not going to go because there's not much in much use in providing if you're not going to be there, in my opinion, uh, in the way that, that you need to be there, right? Or, exactly. 
is the agreement between spouse and, and, and children and parents. And, um, so, uh, what are my hobbies other than playing and making games? Mm, making games and playing games <laughs> and, 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 and listening to podcasts where I try to learn oh, okay. how to do better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think um, that's another, you know, for being a professional learner is another, you know, business owners that are successful generally are professional learners and professional problem solvers. Uh, mm-hmm. And and as you have to be constantly be looking at everything as a lesson that you can learn and, and how you can move forward with, with where you're headed. Um, so what do your dreams for the future look like, Michael? Uh, to be able to keep making games. My dreams for the future are to survive making the games that we like to make. So the games that we like to make, I personally consider them to have very good game design, very good systems, uh, good artwork. Uh, they are often expensive. We're talking $60. Most of our games are $60 or $20. We have that barbell approach so that... $60 games we sell to our customers and maintain relationship through that and or they become regular good sellers in our catalog. And then we have $20 games that are more compact versions of our large games. Not like a, a one-to-one translation, but it's still the same type of game except it's $20 and that is an, an exposure um, opportunity because it's an easier thing for someone to just decide to buy. Um, my goal for the future is for us to be able to continue making games and for the marketplace to shift into our benefit. Um, I think the way that we make games is the best way to do it. Um, <coughs> I may be wrong. The marketplace and, and total sales certainly tell me that I'm wrong in comparison to some of these other companies, of course, as I mentioned earlier. But uh, at some point in time, I think the, there's a lot of games that are being made, and the shift happens. And that shift in mindset really benefits us. We are ready and waiting for that shift. <coughs> That's my hope. No, Super I, simple. I, I, yeah, <laughs> clearly, I, I think that uh, I think that it's important that um, you know that that you guys have that uh, the the structure that you have, right? To to, to get your foot into uh, the marketplace that isn't the 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 mega nerds, you know. Um, so with the, with a lower <coughs> price tag, I, I remember, yep. um, talking to one of my, one of my best friends and he's really, really into games and he, you know, trying to come to grips with a, and I don't know the name of the title, but it's, it's one of those games where you actually have to destroy the game in order to play it. A as legacy you, game? Um, yeah. is, that, is that what it's considered? A legacy game? Yeah. It was probably Pandemic Legacy. Mm, or or Rick's legacy, but yeah, continue. Yeah, so, so something to that effect, and you know him being like, "Well, it's forty dollars for the game, and you can only play it like maybe three or four times before you know the game is completely sure. destroyed." And I'm like, "Yeah, but if you went to the movies, like <laughs> the movies cost you know uh, sure. for two for, heck for one person can cost fifteen dollars <laughs> just for a ticket." Um, yep. 
you know, if you're getting four experiences out of it, that's that's pretty darn good, right? Like in my book, um, when you right. compare it to the price of a movie ticket. I, I consider us to be a durable entertainment product, uh, and thus I, I believe that we actually are in competition with all entertainment products, a movie being a very non-durable one. But even a, um, a remote-controlled car would be a high-quality hobby one, of course, would be a, a very durable uh, entertainment product, something that like high-quality hobby remote-control cars can be. Two hundred fifty, four hundred dollars, uh, without too much difficulty. Um, so yeah, we compete with all of that. And one of the issues I believe with your friend's mindset, right, is they're used to paying sixty dollars for a game that they might enjoy twenty, thirty, forty times, and they don't ever have to destroy. It's a different experience, the legacy game, because it changes, it evolves, and that's interesting. The idea of it, of the game, of the those changes being permanent to the actual components of the game, I'm not the biggest fan of. I think there are ways to manage to execute on such a thing that could revert back to the original state without destruction happening. Oh, I totally point. agree, right? Like that's why you have like damage counters and stuff that so it's not like, hey, I did ten damage to you. Let me make ten tears in that card. Sure. And and, and that's that you know, that's a very clear example. But with the legacy games, they want they want the experience to change from the first game to the second game to the third game. Kind of like a um a choose your own adventure book that instead of just making a choice and then going to page seventy two and then making another choice and going to page 130 and then back to page 40 or whatever, right? The choices that you're making, the adventure you're choosing, happens through the gameplay. And so what's the mechanism for having that persist from time to time? Modifying the game board and with stickers and ripping up cards, that that's one way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, uh, how can people connect with you, Michael? Um, I think the best way to connect with me is, oh, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. That's fine, Michael Mindis. Uh, but the best way to go about it is connecting with the company. And we're available at playtmg.com. Or if you want to get super saucy, uh, we have. Very accessible games that you can get uh, on Amazon without spending too much money. I would recommend Martian Dice in particular, if anybody's interested in that. And if you're a gamer, then, yeah, get our stuff. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, obviously, I'll have that in the, in the show notes uh, for people to, to reach out and connect with the company and... Uh, Hopefully, buy buy some board games. Um, is there any last thoughts you'd like to share before we wrap up? Uh, no, I don't think so. I'm just glad to be able to hopefully help someone spark some something in what they they've needed to hear to to help them move along. Um, I there's a lot of things that go on in, go on in my life. And I feel that I live 
quite a happy life. And part of that is because I am able to do what I want and I have that freedom. That comes from the business. That comes from my relationship with people and from my family. And if I can help someone move towards that, that is, uh, that's wonderful. That's, that's really what my goal is and having this kind of a conversation. So awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, Michael, so much, so much. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today and, uh, and share about your business and how things have gone for you. And, um, you know, I, I really appreciate you taking the time, especially being out in Vegas for a, uh, for a trade show. Yeah, you bet. It's uh, so much thank yous to you as well. <laughs> oh, you're you're very welcome, and you're welcome to come back anytime uh, you have any you know news to share. And I'd love to have you on again in like a year or so to catch up and see how you're how you've been doing. Yeah, just let me know, and then uh, we'll set up a time. Awesome, very good. Uh, thank you so much again. Yep, have a good one, Joe. Thanks. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Dreamers Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Dreamers Podcast. Join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Dreamers Podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the Dreamers Podcast, please send an email to j at jpar.co. This podcast is copyright 2014 by jpar.co.